about loving like Jesus, I, I want to just uh, point this out. To love like Jesus requires us to be in relationships with one another. And some of you, I think, would be like me when I was a teenager, and that would send shivers down my spine. Relationships with others? No, I'm that person that's in the, I want to be in the back of the room. I don't want to be dealing with other people. Other people scare me. Other people confuse me. Other people are irritating and sometimes generally just difficult. And so as we think about this idea of loving like Jesus and being in relationships, those others, which are you and me, depending on what perspective we are looking at, uh, these can be all true of us. It is a humbling thing to think that people are afraid of me at times. Uh, I think of myself as very approachable. I love to make people laugh. And yet, at the same time, I know I make people nervous. I'm the guy that preaches every, or most Sundays, right? I'm that guy that's got the loud voice and the goofy antics. And, and, uh, and, and so sometimes I scare people. I don't intend to, but sometimes I do. Confusing? Sometimes that's my middle name. All right, irritating, never want to be that, but uh, I'm sure I have been. Maybe I will be today from your neck of the woods. I don't know. And difficult, certainly something that I, not, I, I do not aspire to be. So what I decided as we consider this idea of love, to love like Jesus, right, to have that vision, it's great. And we, we laid out six different things, uh, six different uh, statements that we're going to build off of. And we, we set goals. And as Jamie mentioned, we're really committed to actually fulfilling those goals. And, and we'll continue to make you aware of those. But I started thinking that to love like Jesus is not necessarily an easy thing to do. So this little mini-series after our mini-series is uh, going to be focusing on overcoming obstacles to love like Jesus. Have you ever noticed that God did not give us the ability or he didn't command us to do certain things that are come easy to us? All right, I was talking with someone earlier and, and the idea of ice cream over waffles was a really exciting thing. But what topped it was when you talk about warm waffles with ice cream and chocolate syrup. God didn't have to command me to eat chocolate. All right? That's something I love to do. God doesn't have to command me to do a lot of things I love to do. I got to go golfing a few weeks ago. I haven't been in a couple years. You know what? I didn't get hurt. So that means I get to go again. All right? Uh, until I hurt myself. And I hurt myself doing the stupidest things. All right? So, so I'm just saying, as we talk about overcoming obstacles, there are things, there's part of our lives where we, are just, we just don't know what to do, what we need to do. And so I'm hoping to address that in a series of sermons, I don't know how many it's going to be right now, but for this week and next week, I'm going to be focusing on this uh, number one obstacle is lack of forgiveness. All right, lack of forgiveness. We are not loving like Jesus if we do not love others. Excuse me. We are not loving like Jesus if we do not forgive others. Forgiveness is a big deal, especially if you're a Christian. All right, because there's certain responsibilities that come along this with this. All right, so forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel, and so we are, we talk about being gospel-centered, right? Great words, but it's the idea of of when you're talking about loving like Jesus, and you're talking about forgiving others. Uh, I think we ought to back that up with some scripture. So first of all, we'll look at Ephesians four thirty-two just briefly, and say, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted forgiving one another, 
even as God in Christ forgave you. This is one of those verses, I think, that uh, was on the, the video from last week with, uh, with Ricky. So thankful for all the, the lessons I learned uh, from Ricky. But this idea of forgiving one another, it's a one another passage. And we are called to forgive one another even as God in Christ forgave you. Then Paul also goes on to say in Colossians 3, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on, notice this, tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. This idea of forgiving one another is a command. It is something that we are called to do as believers. We are called to forgive one another. It's not an option. And so as, as, we, as we go into this uh, discussion of forgiveness, it's not an exhaustive discussion. I can't cover all aspects of forgiveness today. There will be things that I leave out. And maybe I'll hit on them next week. Maybe I won't. This is one of those areas that you will continue to learn about throughout your Christian life. But what I do want to focus on today is why is forgiving others so hard? And maybe you've not had a hard time with it. Maybe your life's been dominated by it. Why is it so hard to forgive others. So we're going we're to look at three reasons why uh, it's hard to, to uh, forgive others. And, and the first one is honestly the most in-your-face one I can think of, and that is this. Why is, it, why is forgiving others so hard? Because pain is real. And you're going to think, I don't know, maybe you're already depressed that I'm preaching this message right now, but I don't know about you. I know what pain is. Many of you know what pain is, and there's all kinds of different forms of pain. I just listed a few of them here to make this point that forgiving others is hard because pain is real. Physical pain. Every one of these I know either personally or through my counseling. And I'm telling you, there are many, many people in this world that are hurting physically because of spousal abuse, because of parent abuse. And the craziest thing I ever saw was when I was in the military and this huge guy, muscular, special forces guy, and he's in my office because his, his five feet nothing, hundred pound nothing wife was beating him. And he couldn't do anything about it because if he laid one hand on her, his career was down the toilet. So when we talk abuse, I'm talking physical abuse. It, it does, don't just think of the big guy hitting the little girl. It takes all kinds of forms. This guy was in a horrible place. He didn't know what to do. And oftentimes physical abuse, it, it can actually, physical pain can, can, can take an emotional toll. Because there are people who go through the physical and it leads into emotional. Some people, they don't have the physical. It's just emotional. And, and they have this going on in their life and they feel, they feel like they're forgotten by God. Which leads to a third pain, which is spiritual pain. And if you put all those three together in a person's life, I'm sorry, but that person is going to have some issues with forgiving others. Forgiving others is not easy. It's very serious, and we're commanded to do it, but it's not easy. And then the fourth pain I, I listed here is pain over perceived offenses. This is genuine pain. This is real pain. People are hurting. 
because someone said something to somebody who said something to somebody who said something to somebody, which got back to them, and it was all a lie, but the damage is done. And, and this pain is real, and they never did what they were accused of. Maybe you've experienced some of that pain. I actually beat a kid up on the playground when I was in sixth grade because I was told that Gino liked my girlfriend. And I didn't like that. So I was, seriously, I was a tall, weighed next to nothing. But he was short and weighed next to nothing. So I threw him all over the, par- I threw him all over the playground. And, you know, I still, I still grieve over that to this day because it was a joke. G- Gino was my friend. Never again. And I, 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 I'm telling you, that one just came. I didn't share that the first service. That one just came into my mind because someone thought it was funny. And it killed our relationship, just destroyed it. And I, you know, and I even asking for forgiveness, right? So all the, all those you talk about, why is it forgiving others so hard? Is because it can be pain. And these are just illustrative <laughs> descriptions. You may have pain I know nothing about. It may be physical pain from some other aspect of your life, all right? It may be something that, honestly, no one in this room has ever thought about. But I want you to know, if you are having any of these forms of pain, any of them, and others. Uh, I'm here, the pastors are here to sit down and hear about your pain. Because that pain is genuine and it needs to get dealt with the right way. And if you don't deal with it the right way, there's all kinds of other complications that can come in. So we'd like to uh, help you understand that. So what I'd like to do is in John chapter 8, we're going to go from verses 3 to 11. It was the scripture reading. We went 2 to 11. I'm just going to start in verse 3. This passage is not about forgiveness. This passage is about pain. This passage is about misunderstandings. This passage is about sin. This passage is about Jesus loving someone. And I just, I'd use this as an illustration, so please don't think you're going to walk out of here knowing all the ways that you can forgive. I want you to be introduced to a particular uh, group of people. We'll start off again. It says, then the scribes and Pharisees, we know them, the religious elite, those that had power in their community, they brought to Jesus, they brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in uh, in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say, Jesus? All right, you can see they're setting them up. They're setting them up. But before we get to that setup, let's let's consider some things here. Why is forgiving others so hard? Well, consider the pain that this woman endured. She goes nameless. We do not know her name. But I'm going to walk you through some of the pain. And maybe some of this pain will, will be similar to the pain you've experienced in your life. Maybe not. But I'm hoping that through this process you will understand that people really do have pain over this kind of stuff, right? So first of all, we see that she was, she's publicly displayed. Why is that so important for me to point out? Well, remember what the text said. She was caught in the act of adultery. So that means she probably was not wearing a whole lot of clothes So maybe she has a a sheet around her. She was yanked out of whatever room she was in, wherever she was, and brought to Jesus. 
Where's Jesus? Jesus is sitting in the temple. He's teaching his disciples. He's talking to a crowd. And this crowd is on his every word. And these religious elite, these religious leaders come to him and interrupt his teaching and say, Jesus, here is this woman and she's put on public display. Imagine for yourself, just for a moment, that maybe on one day, every one of your sins was put on the internet where everybody had a link to it and they could just watch you and all your sin and you are on public display. That might actually be easier than what this woman went through. This woman is physically present among people she may know or may not know. There's all kinds of questions about who she might have been and what her situation. It doesn't matter. She is standing in front of all these people. She's standing in front of Jesus. She obviously knows who Jesus is at this point. The reason these guys are are trying to set up Jesus is because he's so popular. But not only was she publicly displayed, her privacy is exposed. Think about your private discussions, your private thoughts, the things that go on in your house that you would never want to know that go, uh, your church community, no less, you know, to go, that's going on in your home. Think about all that privacy that you would be mortified if people knew. And here she is. She's being told. Everyone's being, she was caught in the very act. She must have been mortified. This is, this is unbelievable that she is going through this. She's also threatened with death. Where do I draw that from? Well, he's, they come to and they just, hey, hey, Jesus, what do you think about this lady? We're not even thinking about the lady, but what do you think about this lady? Because Moses says we ought to stone her to death. Now, I'm sure she already knew that. She's probably, if to go to Jesus, she's already a Jew. She knows the law. She knows this was wrong. And, and there's no question that she's guilty. There is no question that she's guilty. And she hears these words, stoning to death. And they don't even care that she's hearing it. She's all alone. What do I mean by that she's all alone? There's all these people around her. What am I talking about? She's all alone. There were at least two people caught in the act. And only one of them is being brought before Jesus. However this transpired, only one person was brought. The man who is just as guilty is gone. Now, let me just share a little bit about uh, what's going on here. Uh, This last point point is that she's being used by others. It's possible, this isn't a definite, it is possible that the whole thing was set up. There are, there are, it's recorded in history that uh, Jewish men could divorce their wives for the most frivolous, most frivolous things, you know, bad dinner, I'm getting divorced. But if they got divorced from their spouse, they get none of her belongings. If she has money, she get, they get none of it because they divorce. They separate. But if she dies, they get everything. Now, I'm not saying this is what happened here, but I want you to know people do bad things. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And here she is possibly being used. Well, she's definitely being used by the religious leaders. But she may have actually been set up by her husband. Think about that one for a minute. And that if she would die, he would get all the inheritance. And, and, and it wasn't this just so convenient that these religious leaders could have this situation to, to bring before Jesus. So what is forgiving? Why is forgiving others so hard? Well, it, it's pain, right? 
pain is real, and, and, and this lady experienced all kinds of pain. But a second uh, reason it's hard is because people sin. I don't know if you knew this, but all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. That means everybody in this room is a sinner. I don't know if this is true. This is just the way I explain it to people, but there's two kinds of people in the world, sinners and sinners saved by grace. There's no other kinds that I'm aware of. I'm a sinner saved by grace, and so are many of you. But there are those in the world who are just sinners, and they do not know Jesus Christ. And there's reasons they might not know Jesus Christ. It may be because of all the sin that's been committed in their life. Human trafficking is an abhorrence. I mean, human trafficking takes place. Fayetteville, North Carolina, where we came from, it was one of the hubs for, for human trafficking. It goes on in here in New England as well. It's horrific what people will do to other people for money, for drugs, for, for whatever. But, but why, is, why is forgiving other people so hard? Because people sin against people. We have wrong motivations as human beings. We have, we have preconceived conclusions. We're going to see this play out in the text. We're going to see that we allow faulty influences in our lives. So why is it hard? It's because, seriously, people do some wicked, wicked things. So if we go to chapter 8 uh, again of John in verse 6, just this one verse. This is, this is the, it says, this they said, right? Bring in the lady before Jesus, testing him. They said, listen, is it, is, you know, Moses said, stoner, what do you think? They were testing him that they might have something by which to accuse him. And, and let's go back to that, that previous slide here where it says, wrong motivations. These people were publicly ridiculing and embarrassing this woman who was probably set up for a fall, was guilty, but nonetheless being used. But notice their motivation, it was not to find out what the law teaches. They know what the law teaches. It's the law of Abraham, it's, I mean, the law of Moses. They know. They don't have to ask Jesus. They're just trying to do They have the wrong motivation. They want to trip them up. They have a preconceived conclusion about what's going to take place. They have painted Jesus into a corner. They believe that they, this is the, the question that's going to stump him. And they'll be surprised, right? And, and we're going to be uh, pleased with, with, the, uh, with the results. But their conclusion was Jesus is, is a nobody. He's a danger. We need to get rid of him. We know the truth. And, and they're going to discredit Jesus, and they're going to go to ev- any extent. So as we think about this, uh, they said testing him. And so we're going to see, well, consider the sins, the sin or sins they were committing. It may be plural, right? First of all, we know they were decept- deceiving. They were deceptive because they're coming there on false motivations, and they're coming there asking a question that they already know the answer to. And, and they're just trying to deceive Jesus into, into, into saying something he's going to regret. They do not know who he is. They might be involved in possible fraud. That's the idea that they might be setting up the wife for murder, right? Let's get away with this. It's not, again, maybe not, probably not, but it's, it's happened. Possibly violating the law to supposedly defend the law. Does that sound like a bunch of hypocrites to you? They're using the law of Moses in a, in a way to discredit the Son of God. It's, it's, it's unbelievable when we look at it from a 21st century mindset and we know what faith teaches, right? But this is, this is what's going on. Their sin was horrific. 
What they did to this lady, what they were trying to do to Jesus, and, and, and doing it under the guise of the church, or excuse me, the synagogue. But folks, listen, we're no different. We have evil done in our world. We have religious leaders that do horrible, rotten, evil things. I pray it never happens in this church. But I'll be honest with you, you better keep on your guard. And we better keep on our guard. Why? Because people sin. And it happens. And we should not allow it to happen. We have to, we have to try and fight this. We've got to be on our game at all times. So why is forgiving others so hard? It's painful. And there's sin involved. But this next one I want to share with you, I, I used a different pronoun. It's because I have wandered from the cross. I'm asking you from this point forward, think in the first person singular. I, 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 I. Because I have wandered from the cross. Am I talking about me? Well, yeah, I've wandered from the cross. Have you? This is my opportunity to actually... Uh, uh, make up for something I failed to do last week, but it's actually, it fits with the passage. So last week I failed to mention the, the, the killings and praying for the family of, uh, of all the people that died in Afghanistan. And I've been doing it on the streamings and I've done it on Wednesday night, but I didn't do it here. So I get to do it this week. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, because I have wandered from the cross. What does it mean to wander from the cross before I bear my soul, all right? Wandering from the cross means I have become distracted with my priorities, I, be, I become distracted by my agendas, by my insecurities, and by any other my that you might think of. There's all kinds of things that we can be distracted by. Wandering from the cross means I become distracted by these things. I have allowed other things in my life to influence me rather than being influenced by who Jesus is and what he has done. So what is that for me? If I'm in the midst of wandering from the cross... All right, and I, I don't, I'm not because I'm bringing it to your attention, but this is the struggle that I've been having for the last couple of weeks. I'm angry. I'm angry that we had 20 years to figure out how to pull out of Afghanistan without loss of life. And we pulled out a loss out of Afghanistan with loss of life. I've been there with the dead bodies. I have been there with the grieving family as they're notified that their loved one's not coming home. I've been there as spouses have informed their loved ones while they're deployed that, that they're emptying the bank accounts and they're heading for the hills with their new boyfriend or girlfriend. That all happens, folks, because there's pain and there's sin and this stuff happens. And I'm just saying that all this stuff is going on in the world around me. For me, I'm angry with our leadership. And this is not my soapbox to sit there and, and call people out. I'm just saying it should not have happened. And every one of those lives that has been lost is on somebody's list, right? I mean, somebody ought to be accountable for that. That's me in my flesh. That's the way I feel. And that's the way I was feeling until I saw a, a, a news um, interview with the uh, widow of, of um, Chris, Chris Kyle. 
Chris Kyle's the, the guy that made the, uh, they made the movie about him. He's called The American Sniper, and, and uh, be careful if you watch the movie, but I'll, I understand there's a book out there. Maybe the book would be better for you. Uh, but I'll be, so she comes on this interview, and I'm, 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 I'm upset. And she says, listen, let me send a message out to the Gold Star families. And what that means is this. The, a Blue Star family, you may see the flag in, in the window, and that just means if it's a Blue Star, that they have a loved one who is currently in harm's way. They're downrange. They're, in, you know, they're somewhere, right, with bullets flying all directions. A gold star family is someone who is, is uh, they've lost that loved one in, in action, right? So they're not coming home alive. And uh, so this lady, this, this widow of, of Chris Kyle, uh, she says, listen, let me just take a moment and tell the, the gold star families out there that your loved ones did not die in vain. Your loved ones fought a fight that had to be fought in this hall for 20 years. There's this generation of of Afghanis uh, have experienced a level of peace they otherwise would never have experienced. And those were healing words for me. And I hope they're healing words for you too. Because I, I, I kid you not, it probably a day or two days doesn't go by that I'm not talking to a veteran who's feeling the same way I'm feeling. And I was only there once for nine months. And I have friends that have been there for years if you add it all up. And we know people and we know families and we've seen the pain and we understand the sin and we understand all this stuff. But I'm telling you, if I'm going to wander from the cross, it's because of things like this. They come into my life and they distract me from what it is I'm supposed to be focused on, which is what? The person and work of Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God who is, rede- is, is able to redeem every man, woman, and child who's ever lived. That They will just come to faith in what he did on that cross. So I use this as an illustration just this morning to let you behind the veil to let you know what's going on in my life because I'm not wandering anymore. It was a short wander, but I was angry and I was naming names and I actually had it crossed through my mind that I should be, I should call a news station and I should make this public and I should say how outraged I am about this and I'm glad I didn't because it would have been all in my flesh. And I'm not asking you guys to. I'm saying we need to pray for those people, but I, you know what I take comfort in? The sovereignty of God. This did not happen without God's notice. And those lives were not in vain. God will accomplish his purposes. And new opportunities for ministry will arise. So I have wandered from the cross and I am in desperate need of repentance. That's the way I was a couple weeks ago. Last week, week and a half ago. This idea of repentance is something that I think we ought to embrace, to be honest with you. If, we were, if we're going to forgive others, there's something about this which really screams, you must repent. There's so much to say about repentance, about forgiveness, but I'll say this. The people that have harmed you are probably not thinking about the fact that you're upset. The people that have, that have done these things in your lives, you know, it's not bothering them. But if it's bothering you, Don't hold on to the bitterness. Let it go. Let's talk about it. 
Let's have a perspective of, of what God's trying to accomplish through that in your life. And let's repent and have a, a, come to the cross of Jesus. See, as we go to John 8, chapter, uh, verses 6 through 8, it says, But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. One of the amazing things about this text of Scripture is with all the seriousness, with all the amazing truth, and with all the stuff being discussed, people are writing books about it. I wonder what Jesus was writing in the dust. It doesn't matter because he doesn't tell us. What he does tell us is very significant. He says, he who is without sin among you, let him throw the stone at her first. They thought they had Jesus trapped they thought that he was, there's no way. Because if he says, yeah, I think she ought to be stoned, the Romans are going to get involved and he's probably going to be arrested and he'll be, out of, he'll be out of the picture. If he says, yeah, uh, I think we need to let her go, uh, then they're like, well, you're not a believer in the law of Moses, so he's, he's going to be discredited. They had it all figured out. And what does he say? He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. It supports the law of Moses. Jesus, Jesus was all about the law. But he also found a way to show mercy and grace and forgiveness. Well, I, let me back up. Take the forgiveness part out of that because we're going to talk about that in a minute, right? He showed mercy and grace to this woman. And he actually combated the, the people that thought they had him covered. And notice what happened. These very people who had brought this woman, the religious leaders and all those in attendance, at the end of the story, which you know, they're all gone. And it says here, Jesus waited until he had everyone's attention by drawing in the sand. He was waiting for things to escalate. Because you know when you're watching a pot boil, it takes forever, right? And they just asked Jesus this question. You know what? He's not answering them on purpose. He's drawing in the sand. He's writing in the sand. He's doing something. And they're like, will you answer us? And then once he knew he had their attention, that's when he gives up and lays out the news. He that is without sin, throw the first stone. They thought they had him trapped. Jesus placed the spotlight. He didn't place the spotlight on the woman like these vicious individuals. He placed the spotlight on the individuals in the crowd. He says, any of you that have not sinned may cast the first stone, right? It, it's an individual thing. And this whole idea of forgiveness is individual. Sin had overcome this woman as it had overcome every person that was listening to him. And that's what Jesus exposed. He exposed the depravity of man. He disposed the level of sinfulness that is, that is in the world. And everybody was there because from the oldest to the youngest, they all walked away because they knew they were sinners. Sin, and overcome, sin has overcome each of us too. Have you thought about that recently? Sin has overcome each of us, and yet we fail to forgive others for their sins after we've been forgiven for ours. We're hypocrites. Scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. You strain at a gnat and you swallow a camel. That's pretty powerful. I think I might have shared that a couple weeks ago. I might have done it at a streaming time, but I love that one. It's like, listen, you're worried about these itsy-bitty little things and you swallow an entire camel. How is that possible? It's figurative, but it's making a point. You're off on your perspectives. Sin has overcome all of us. 
There's not one of us that can point a finger at another and say, my sin's not as severe as yours. Because all sin hung Jesus on the cross. And how dare we look at someone else and say, we're better than them. You've wandered from the cross. And really, that's the point. We, we talked about Ephesians 4. Uh, we're told to forgive one another as we are forgiven in Christ. We're told it again in Colossians 3 to forgive one another even as Christ forgave you. And, but I'm telling you right now, it gets worse. We're not just sinners hurting each other. We find new and creative ways to hurt one another. I believe that we fail to forgive others for perceived sins. Remember that legitimate pain, that legitimate pain I listed there in number four? People are hurting because of perceived faults, right? Gossip, all these things. I think we fail to forgive others for perceived sins that are not sins at all. We are withholding forgiveness and become bitter because we are offended, not because we've been sinned against. Have you ever been offended? I'm probably offending you right now. The gospel's offensive. Try walking into any room with a bunch of people that you don't know and say, hey, by the way, you're all on your way to hell. Well, how do you know that? Because the Bible tells me so, right? Please don't forget to tell them that Jesus loves them, as the Bible tells them that too. We fail to forgive others when we've been forgiven because we've wandered from the cross. And I'm asking you today, have you wandered from the cross? This is the personal pronoun application. Have you wandered? We're prone to, as the hymn says. Are you judgmental? Ooh, not me. I don't know. Matthew 7 says, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? We know this verse. This isn't new. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and take a plank and in your own eye? Listen, we know. How dare we tell other people and not, excuse me, how dare we not forgive other people when we're probably a bigger sinner than they are, if we were able to measure everything. It doesn't matter. We're all sinners. Have you wandered from the cross? Are you self-righteous? Peter was. Peter was self-righteous, and he's talking to Jesus. And Peter said, came to him, speaking of Jesus, said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times? The going standard was three by the rabbis and the Jewish leaders. They were like, three times, that's all you got. And, 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 and Peter, self-righteous Peter, is thinking, I know this Jesus guy. He's, gonna, he's, yeah, he's not going to go for three. I bet you he goes for seven. And Jesus says, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 77 times. And we're like, oh yeah, go Jesus. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. You ever been sinned against? Forgive. Has it been legitimate? It may take a while to get to that forgiveness. Forgiveness is not easy. Come talk to me. Come talk to your pastors. Let us walk down that road with you as you discover that the, the, the lack of forgiveness in your life has actually torpedoed your, your maturing process in Christ. You need to figure out how to get, 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 it, get it out of your life and, and put it in its right place. 
Jesus says, listen, up to 70 times 7. In other words, always, every time, never an exception. You forgive, you forgive, you forgive, you forgive. It's hard, but it's necessary. The good news is that we can overcome our lack of forgiveness. There is good news. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are able to overcome our lack of forgiveness. How? We need to turn around and see the cross anew. Okay, I'll turn around. There's one in the window. There's one right here. There's probably one on your Bible. I'd love to have one on the steeple again someday, right? So, so, so listen, a cross sends a message. And we need to turn around and see with that cross. What is that cross? That is where Jesus paid for your sins and for mine. How dare we not forgive others when we've been forgiven? John 8 verse 9 says, Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience, this is good news, by the way, they're convicted, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. So the good news is we can actually repent, and that's good news. Jesus acted in light of the cross before he was hung on it. I love this little uh, truth. Jesus, he, he knows what's coming. He sees this sinner who's been caught in the very act of adultery and he's showing mercy and grace and love to her when no one else would because he knows what he's about to do. He knows that his life is going to be sacrificed on her behalf so that she can have her sins forgiven. Not only her sins, but all the sins of the scribes and Pharisees that they would come to faith. He was compassionate. He was caring. But he was direct. And notice what he says. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. She finally speaks. What was going through her mind? Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. All right, so I, I spoke a little soon, but imagine how she was feeling at that moment. Go, at that moment, go, sin no more. What's going through her mind? Well, one thing we, I want to point out, did she repent? We don't know. The scripture does not say that Jesus forgave her. It does not say that she repented. Jesus gave her an, she, he gave her an order, right? Come in, like, listen, I am not condemning you. Condem- lack of condemnation is not necessarily forgiveness. All right, and that's what I'm saying. I'm not going to tie this in a nice little neat bow for you. I'm saying there's this tension at the end of the story. We don't know how it ends. Did she get out of there, find the guy, and continue on where they left off? Did she go and do some other heinous sin? Well, we'd like to think the best of her and say, well, no, she probably repented, and I hope she did, and I hope we see her in heaven. But we don't know if she repented. Am I going to repent? Are you going to repent in our, for our lack of forgiveness towards others? Because I'm telling you, lack of forgiveness in a church will tear a church apart. And we don't want to do that, do we? We all have to face the reality that we are sinners in need of a Savior, right? That's, that's why we come here every week to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And everyone who comes to faith in that is a child of God. We are, we are now co-heirs with Christ. There's all this gospel truth that exudes, and we're so happy in it. But I'm telling you, he or she better not sit next to me. We can't do it, folks. we got to find a way. 
We've got to find a way to live out the gospel so the people see that we are the real deal. We are sinners in need of a Savior, so I invite you, if you have never met Jesus Christ, we would like to introduce you to him. He changed my life. He changed most of the lives in this room. We invite you to know Jesus because he will forgive you. 1 John 1, 9, we'll study it in a few weeks. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's forgiveness in Jesus. Christians have to face the reality that they will wander from the cross if they don't keep their eyes on it. I got to close because we're, we're running out of time, but I'll just tell you this. Don't ever lose sight of the cross. It's figurative. Keep it in your mind. Keep it in your heart. Wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Help me love other sinners. Take the blinders off my eyes, Lord, and somehow I'm thinking I'm I'm self-righteous when I'm judgmental. We are loving like Jesus, which is the goal, our vision for this next year, when we forgive others. Will you do that, and will you help me do it? That is what will glorify God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we have had in your word. It is a sobering topic. It's a challenging topic. And Father, I pray that you'd work in the hearts and minds of your children in this room that are guilty of not forgiving others. Not so they can be proven wrong, but they can be fully healed. So that the bitterness of soul that is eating them alive from the inside out would be released into the arms of Jesus. Father, those who know the pain, those who know the sin, and have never, ever talked about it to anyone else, Lord, lead them to a safe haven where they can be loved on in Christ. Father, for those that do not understand what forgiveness means because their sin is, in their mind, so vast and so so horrible. Help them to learn how you loved despicable people to faith. Because you are a redeeming God. You did not come for the healthy. You came for the sick. You did not come for the righteous. You came for the, to redeem sinners. And so, Father, I pray that you do your work in lives and redeem people and mature people. For your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.